Father, may the words of that song we sang be our prayer. We want you to speak to us. We pray that we have ears that are sensitive to hear what your spirit says to us. We pray the prayer that John the Baptist prayed a long time ago. You must increase and we must decrease. We say this to the glory of your name. Amen. Take God's word, turn to Philippians chapter 2. For those that are visiting with us, the three weeks leading up to Easter, we are dealing with humility. Last week we talked about humility in terms of God, and this week we're going to talk about ourselves. Now if you read the literature about our church, our vision statement reads this way. Our desire is to be a church that dreams and hungers for God to restore all life's lost. And when you think about that, two things come to my, to my mind. Number one, we got to be humble. If we are going to be about God's business and dreaming and hungering for God to restore, only in humility can we ever capture that attitude that God has. The other is we need to be in touch with those that are lost. Amen? I mean, if we're going to redeem them, if we're going to go after them, just to simply expect them to show up on a Sunday morning isn't good enough. That's not how the body of Christ works. Now, Easter's coming. And Easter's the perfect time because it's cultural and religious at the same time. Easter's the perfect time to invite one of those people that do not know Jesus Christ. And let me encourage you to keep on inviting until someone says yes. But but I hear this all the time. Someone says, but I don't want to offend someone. Well, I will tell you right now that most people who don't go to church will not be offended. But if they are, would you rather they spend eternity in hell because you didn't want to offend them? I mean, think through the logic on that one. So what I'm asking you in humility this morning is pray for someone that you know that doesn't know Christ. And then plan on inviting someone, inviting someone, inviting someone until the Lord gives you an opportunity to bring somebody. Does God answer prayer? Yes, he does. Now I want to remind us last week, I said there's four truths that we have to believe as a foundation if we're going to be humble. Those four truths are, number one, we have to recognize that God is more responsible for our achievements than we are. That's the first thing we have to understand. Number two, we are given our abilities, time, and opportunities. Number three, everything is a gift from God. And number four, we will have to give an account to God. I mean, those are four foundational truths. I'm going to remind you again next week that if we're ever going to understand what humility is, we have to support those four things. Having said that, let's reread the passage we talked about last week, Philippians 2. I'm going to read verses 1 down through verse 8. You can follow with me on the screen or in your Bibles that you brought. So if there's any encouragement in Christ, any comfort from love, any participation in the spirits, any affection and sympathy, complete my joy by being in the same mind, 
having the same love, being in full accord of one mind. Then he writes, do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourselves. That's tough, isn't it? Let each of you look not only on his own interests, but also the interests of others. Have this mind among you, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself, taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men and being found in human form. He humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even the death on a cross. Now, I think the critical question this morning is this. What keeps us from pursuing humility? And it's one word. It's pride. It's our pride. Isaiah chapter 14, Lucifer, one of the created angels, one of the archangels, one of the highest created beings at that point, here's what he said, and here was his downfall. In Isaiah 14, You have said in your hearts, and note the I wills here, I will ascend to the heaven above the stars of God. I will set my throne on high. I will sit on the mount of the assembly in the far reaches of the north. I will ascend above the heights of the clouds. I will make myself like the most high. But you are brought down. See what pride does, very subtly, it deprioritizes everyone in the room, including God. That's what pride does. We may not admit that. We may not confess that. But every time we allow pride in our heart, we deprioritize everybody else and God himself. See, pride diminishes you. It makes you small and it makes you worse. Now, life exposes our hearts, doesn't it? We get caught in situations, especially difficult ones. What's really, truly inside us is what's exposed. Here's a situation, and ask yourself, what would you have done in this situation? You're with some friends that you've invested in, and you're having supper. And you're talking, and it's like, everybody in the situation where everybody around you hears nothing you're saying? I mean, they're off in another world, They're not getting it. No matter what you say, you have this urgent matter you want to communicate, but they just are not tuning in. In fact, the only thing they're talking about is their own lives and what's next. See, evidently, in the company they work with, there's a rumor about a job opening. It's kind of way up. And so they're arguing that they all want it and what's the next step to get it. And, of course, they think they all deserve it. So what do you do in that situation? Do you name call? <laughs> Say, I can't believe. Just sulk. Do you crawl in a corner and kind of just curl up? And Are you hurt? Are you wounded? And so you're having supper with this group of friends, people you trust. And in this conversation, you find out that someone around that table sold you out to get promoted. And they don't even know that you know. But you have inside information reliable source. So what's your next step? 
So ask yourself this question. What does pride look like in this situation? And what does humility look like in this situation? Well, it's not a hypothetical situation because it's a situation Jesus found himself in. In John chapter 13. And Jesus in that setting was trying to communicate how he defines greatness. He's about to die. He knows that Judas is already going to go sell him out. The disciples are engaged in a conversation about who gets the right or left seat. Some even get moms involved. So what does Jesus do? If he humbled himself, became obedient, what does Jesus do? Let me read it to you. In John 13, verse 1. Now before the feast of the Passover, when Jesus knew that his hour had come to depart out of this world to the Father... Having loved his own who were in the world, he loved them to the end. So the first thing he did was he loved them. Regardless of their childish behavior, he still loved them. During supper, when the devil had already put into the heart of Judas Iscariot, Simon's son, to betray him, one of his close disciples allowed Satan to get a foothold in his life. Jesus, knowing that the Father had given all things into his hands that he had come from God and was going back to God, he rose from supper, he laid aside his outer garments, and taking a towel, tied it around his waist. Then he poured water into a basin and began to wash the disciples' feet and to wipe them with the towel that he had wrapped around him. What Jesus did by illustration, he said, how you define humility, how you define greatness is that you serve God. People. Not just people who deserve it, but people who don't deserve it. Just not your friends, but people who are about to betray you. Just not those who are in sync with you, but people that are just arguing out there, thinking about what they're going to do next and who's going to get the most powerful position next to God. He says, you serve them. And if the most powerful man on the earth says, I have served you, and I'm asking that you serve others. What do we do? Now, of course, this takes massive shift in how we see things. I want to show a short video that kind of illustrates how we need to put a different set of glasses on. Kid, every time I'm pulling out, he's right there. Man, someone needs to talk to his parents if they're ever at home. What is up with the traffic today? And always, every day, this intersection's always crowded. I hate pulling out of here. Maybe some of these dumb roads. Oh, there's. Oh. <laughs> okay, so I'm not even here. Right. Great lady. The princess of parking. Oh, sure. Take this spot. Would it be considerate? Oh, are you kidding me? Unbelievable. Oh. Thank you, ma'am. Oh, it's about time. Let's see, what do I want? Uh, yeah, can I add a cookie to that order? Yeah, no problem. 
Yeah, uh, no problem, only guy in the world. I'm sure you need your cookies. The world, your oyster, and he's serving your cookies. Thanks, Thank sir. you so much. Uh -huh. What can I get for you? Uh, yeah, I'll have a tall decaf macchiato. Yeah, sure, no problem. The 385. And uh, it might take a few minutes here. We've got quite a line, obviously, and thanks for your patience. Great. Yeah, <laughs> great. Great for me. Waiting again. Unbelievable. What? What? supposed to do how can I how can I do anything about that can I even help with that I don't your copy sir oh. I, I can't I can't take this anymore I, I gotta get out of here hey what Don't you wish it'd be that easy? <laughs> Put a pair of glasses. You, you hear me say all the time, everyone has a story. And life is full of opportunities for us to serve. But it takes a very different set of glasses. Glasses from God's word, glasses from the Holy Spirit, call it whatever you want. See, what we have to understand is that an invitation to follow Jesus is an invitation to unfollow pride. If you're going to understand humility, you have to understand what it means to unfollow pride. Scripture says, die to self. Jesus said, I've come not to be served, but to serve. Paul says, I am crucified with Christ. Your why will shape you. And your why must be Christ. Anything else will lead you down the road of pride. Anything else will cause 
disruption in your life and in the lives of the people around you. But an invitation to follow Jesus is an invitation to unfollow pride. In Numbers chapter 12, verse 3, I don't know what you think about Moses, but here was the biblical description of Moses. Now, Moses, now the man Moses was very meek. The word meek in Hebrew is the word humble. More than all people who were on the face of the earth. Do you ever view Moses as humble? I mean, here was a man of authority and power. He was charismatic. They had to put him in an unknown. They, God, had to put him in an unknown grave because people would go worship that grave if they knew where he was buried. But yet, God records Moses as being the top dog, but the one who was most humble in his day. The prophet Isaiah says this about humility. Chapter 66, verses 1 and 2. Thus says the Lord, Heaven is my throne, and the earth is my footstool. What is the house that you would build for me, and what is the place of my rest? Talking about building a house, talking about the way we live. You know, our bodies are the temple of the Holy Spirit. The church is the body of Christ. It's people, not a physical building. All these things my hand has made. So all these things came to be, declares the Lord. Talking about creation. But this is the one to whom I will look. He, is hum- he who is humble and contrite in spirit and trembles at my word. I mean, that could be a sermon in itself. If you want to live a holy life, like we sang, you have to be humble. You have to be submissive. That's what contrite means. It means to be submissive. And you must respect his word. Now, that's a nice way of saying, okay, this is what God's telling us in these verses. He's saying, I am God, you are not. Amen? You guys don't sound convinced. So repeat after me. I am not God. Now turn to the person next to you and say, neither are you. Okay? There are some spouses that enjoyed that a little too much. I don't know what's going on. When you look at Moses and Isaiah, let, let me suggest two things that are critical to humility that we see in the life of Moses and we see what Isaiah is talking about. Here they are. One is they had a teachable spirit. When you look at the life of Moses, he was teachable. He would listen to what God had to say. And number two... In their spirit, they were willing to submit to authority. In their spirit, they were willing. And and I use the word spirit because everything's a matter of the heart. You know, sometimes we submit to authority, but our spirits aren't there. And so we push against, we're proud, we're arrogant. And that eventually leads to a conflict and a disruption that isn't healthy. But in their spirit, they were willing to submit to authority. See, our hearts expose us. If we already know, then nothing changes our mind. If we already know, then we are not teachable. We see and think that which fits into our illusions or delusions, if you prefer that word. And if we cannot submit to human authority in a natural setting, it exposes our lack of submission to God. 
And that's why today in America, we talk about our political mess. I'd rather talk about our spiritual mess. The hope of our nation has to do with the church getting Christ where he needs to be. You know, we we read verses like all things work together for good to those who love the Lord. And yet when it comes to practical analogy, I'm going back to the politics for a moment, we don't believe that, do we? Do we see God just kind of moving all the chess pieces on the board to bring him ultimate power and authority and glory? Do we trust him enough to allow him to say, listen, this is what I want you to go through for my glory. I want to expose my power. But see, pride, if it's in our hearts, leads to insecurity. Pride inflates self. It gives an inappropriate view of ourselves. Now, me being an official in the basketball arena, I see this all the time. And I see this as parents. Parents think their son or daughter are NBA material. And they argue at the refs and the coach accordingly. See, pride, if it's in our hearts, we're always seeking approval in other people. Pride, if it's in our hearts, resents that someone else has what we call good fortune. Pride, if it's in our hearts, we sit back in life and we complain and we say we deserve better, especially when someone else has a job that we think we ought to have. (laughs) Pride, when it's in our hearts, is relentless in finding faults of others. They nitpick and belittle. Pride, when it's in our hearts, likes to control. And again, control's an illusion because nobody controls God. <laughs> Amen? Remember, repeat after me. I am not God. Turn to the next person and say, neither are you. And when you get up in the morning, look in the mirror and say, I am not God. And then point to the mirror and say, neither are you. Okay? <laughs> Double dose. Now, let me illustrate this, how this plays out in church. Leadership, roles. That's a nice way of saying Pastors. Pastors who allow pride in their heart, here's what happens. They try to micromanage their staff. You know what that means? Their staff has to do it just like they would do it because they know and they got the right way. I knew a pastor one time who made all the staff just dress up just like him. So on a Sunday morning, they all had matching suits and ties. See, if a pastor has pride in his heart, he makes sure that everyone else knows in that church who the pastors are that do not preach as well as him. We always say, well, you know, they don't preach the word. That means I preach better. Pastors who have pride in their hearts have a spirit of condemnation. Most of their sermon has to do with what other people do not believe rather than the hope that's in the Lord. Pastors who allow pride in their hearts have an authoritarian spirit. They say, God put me in charge and you have to listen to me, whether you like it or not. Is that true? (laughs) Now, I can say this. You have to love me whether you like it or not because that's biblical. (laughs) But there's no place in the Bible that says, I am God and my word is infallible. 
You know, I welcome questions. I welcome interaction because sometimes I say things and I think I say them well. And they're just about as confusing as, well, you've heard me say those things, so you know. Pastors who have pride in their heart measure themselves with everybody else. Pastors who have pride in their heart, their positions matter over ministry. I still remember a good friend of mine who was always on staff somewhere, and he wanted his own church. Again, that meant he wanted a lead pastor role. And wherever he interviewed, they never accepted him. So one day we're sitting down, and his favorite thing to do was to eat dessert. And over a piece of pie, he said, you know, he says, I've come to the conclusion that in my denomination, there's no church large enough for me to pastor. He says, I'm really suited for a megachurch. And since we don't have any, that's why they don't ever hire me. Okay, somewhere along the line that just doesn't fit with humility. See, pastors who have pride in their heart blame everybody else, including their congregations. Here's what they say. If only I had godly people in my church, then I could lead this church to great heights. (laughs) Now, there's some proudful congregations that say, if we only had a godly pastor, then this church would grow. You know, both are positions of pride. So that's how it works with pastors. How does it work in your life? Now, if I can meddle again, one of the chief idols of our land is money. Let's take a look at how pride works with our money. By the way, who owns everything? God does. We don't. So that's the first thing that we have to declare. It's not our money. It's his. But here's what it says in Deuteronomy chapter 8. Just listen to this. The author writes, Take care lest you forget the Lord your God by not keeping his commandments. See, we don't submit to authority. We don't respect his word. And his rules and his statutes, which I command to you this day. Lest when you have eaten and are full and have built good houses and live in them, and when your herds and flocks multiply and your silver and gold is multiplied, and all that you have is multiplied, then in your hearts, it's lifted up. That word lift up means to be proud. And when you're proud, what do you do? Remember, it deprioritizes everybody in the room, including God. You forget the Lord your God, who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of slavery. Now, later on, he says this in verse 17 and 18. Beware lest you say in your heart, my power and the might of my hand have gotten me this wealth. You shall remember the Lord your God, for it is he who gives you the power to get wealth, that he may confirm his covenant that he swore to you, your fathers, as it is this day. It's God who grants us these abilities. Pride usurps that and says, look what I've done. Now let's go back to Philippians chapter 2. I read it. I want to go back and draw some more observations about that that we did last week. So let's go back to the first three verses. And of course, verse 4 then and following, we see Jesus initiating. Everything that Paul talks about the church ought to do, he says Jesus has done, and Jesus initiated the process. Ever notice pride says wait? Pride says, well, they owe me an apology. And we wait for the other person. And Christ says, no, I want you to forgive. But 
that person doesn't like me. Christ says, no, I want you to initiate love. The humility of Jesus. We say in our pride, well, they stole from me. How can I forgive? Humility of Jesus says, no. You ask the question, how do you forgive? Regardless of what they have done to you. See, the humility of Jesus says, how can I forgive? How can I grace them? How can I bless them? But you don't know what they said about me. They lied. But pray for those who seek to destroy you, he writes in Matthew chapter 5. See, the question is not what they did. The question of humility is how can I serve? And when I say that, there are no easy answers to that. I wrestle with this just as much as you do. It's one of the reasons I'm in a, an accountability prayer group where we sit down and we try to figure this out for that week, saying, okay, here's my circumstance. Here's my situation. What does God's grace and humility look like in this? Pride says wait. Jesus says initiate. But we have a choice. We will follow something that will kill you. That's what pride does. It will destroy your life. Or we can follow someone who died for you. Philippians chapter 2, the first four verses. So if there's any encouragement in Christ, and again, thinking back, Paul says this. Okay, is there any encouragement in Christ? Well, yes, there is. Okay? You know that. You can look at your history. You can look at what God has done. Any comfort? Well, you know there's comfort from my love. Any participation? You know the Holy Spirit's here. I sent him. He's your comforter. So Paul's kind of saying, listen, you guys know this. You know there's encouragement. You know there's comfort. You know there's participation, affection, and sympathy. And Paul says in verse 2 then, complete my joy. In other words, initiate that, instigate it, start it up in your life. You want to make me happy? I want to see you living this out. I want to see you living out the encouragement, the comfort, the participation, the affection, the sympathy. I want you to lay it out in your life. And man, that just rocks my world. Complete my joy by being in the same mind, having the same love, being in full accord and of one mind. Do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, But in humility, count others more significant than yourselves. So Paul says, listen, you have all these things. Do you understand that humility will release them? That humility will empower them? And he repeats himself in verse 2. The same mind, the same love, being one and having one mind. And of course, one mind is found in verses 4 through 8. The one mind that he's talking about is we've got to think like Jesus. But in our pride, we think like ourselves. And of course, verse 3 is the killer. I see it in the athletic field. I see it at places of work. I see it when people want positions and somebody else gets it that they want it and maybe they were more qualified. The practical working out of this idea Can I say it's messy? (laughs) It's very messy to kill pride. It's very messy to live a humble life because, well, it's hard. 
And if you don't think it's hard, then I believe you don't have the correct idea of what truly humility is. Because every single day, we choose to follow pride or we choose to follow the mind of Christ, which says he humbled himself. Now, Paul, in a very gracious way, is saying to the church, your disagreements reveal that there's a spiritual problem. And it isn't solved by rules or threats. It's going to be solved when your hearts are right with Christ and each other. And Paul wants to see that the basic cause was selfishness. And the cause of selfishness is pride. And there can be no joy in the life of a Christian who puts himself above others. Only joy comes when you release and make others more significant, when you work towards their success. The secret of joy in spite of circumstances is a single mind. And the secret of joy in spite of people is a submissive mind, contrite spirits. Now the nation of Israel is faced with a decision. Do they go into the promised land? And I love the title. It's promised by who? It's promised by God. Are God's promises faithful? Absolutely. Sent 12 spies in. They all come out and they agree. It is everything that God told them it would be. Ten were driven by pride and they said, we can't. Two said, and they had humility with God. Yeah, let's go take this land. This is possible. And they held a congregational council and they lost. And it cost them. It cost them 40 years of wilderness wandering. The one person, Joshua, one of the two, when he was finally going to realize his dream and he's getting ready to go into the promised land, here were his words. Choose this day who you will serve. See, he got it. He understood that humility means that we choose to serve. You can serve Christ and that demands our humility or you can serve pride. And you can have 40 years of wandering in the wilderness. He knew what the cost of pride was. And so he reiterated what he did 40 years before. Listen, me and my house, we're choosing God. This time, we're going in. If you don't want to, that's your choice. Serve Christ. It will demand that you are humble. But serve pride. Well, there's... 40 years of walking around in circles that await you. What do you choose? We're going to close a little differently this morning. I'm going to invite Carol to the stage. And those musicians, they're going to be playing for her. But she's going to sing a song, and we want you to reflect. We want you to pray as she sings. We want you to look at the words. And I want you to invite the Holy Spirit to speak to you. I want you to invite the Holy Spirit and help to remind you that you are not God. But God has some incredible plans for your life, some incredible opportunities. If you're willing to put on the eyes of Christ, we sang, open my eyes, Lord, and see the opportunities around us. And after that, I'll close with a prayer then.